Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa. Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami <clears throat> Yesterday, Ayanana Buddha spoke about, um, you know, what she considers like one of the ways to express you know, what the essence of the practice is. And she spoke about, on one hand, is the Brahma Viharas, which is the other you could say, aspect of love in the practice. And on the other hand, it's, um, you know, seeing impermanence, which is an expression of, of wisdom. One side is, uh, you could call more the warm practices of, of the Brahma Viharas, and on the other hand, the more cool practices, the wisdom um, practices. And um, it's it's kind of a hard to understand why some people choose uh, to go on the path where they choose to turn towards experience because that's you know what we need to do in order to cultivate those qualities those uh, you know in, in order to cultivate wisdom and and love or wisdom and compassion we have to simply fully to- turn towards our experience and just stay steady with that and then the path you know, opens up, as I said some days before, that you know, all things, all experiences, at their essence, they, there's liberation. Because if we fully engage with anything, the most simple thing and the most dreadful thing, the most beautiful thing, if we really engage with it fully, it starts to become a, a teacher for us. And then, you know, we we immediately become aware of impermanence if you really pay attention. And that's, that's a Dhamma gate. And, you know, then if we, if we look further and, and bring that really home into our experience, compassion will arise. You know, if we, if we see others struggling with impermanence that they haven't maybe yet understood that this is just like a basic characteristic of life. So any, any experience can become such a, a Dhamma gate for us. And some people really step through that gate and go through the middles, you know, and come out at the other end, hopefully, with, with wisdom and compassion. And others, they just turn away and distract themselves with the million things you know, which are on offer in the world. And it's kind of a miracle and who is you know, stepping in and who is not stepping in. What is the, the deciding factor here? And uh, I think it's, it's uh, you know, having a very clear um, motivation is, is, the, is the secret. You know, if you, if you can bear with the dissonance which arises, you know, when you step through a Dhamma door, when you step from the surface into the depths, there's a you know, the, it things start to reveal their true nature, and that can be um, disconcerting in the beginning, especially 
because we start to, uh, you know, our old life starts to kind of break down our old way of seeing things. And, and with that, you know, our interest starts to shift and then we can't anymore, you know, do the same things. Then it's difficult to, you know, do the same things with the same people and, and everything becomes influenced by that uh, different way of, of looking at experience. And, and then sometimes, you know, that can have vast um, um, repercussions onto our life. For, for example, for me, you know, it was uh, kind of uh, in a ve very quick, it, it um, had a big impact onto my life. And, and uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't prepared for that. So there was, it was a quite a struggle for some time, you know, to really give into that calling and to respond, you know. So, you know, that calling comes through some big life experiences. In my case, my mother died very suddenly. That was my calling. And, uh, and I, I heard it. And I, I responded to it. And, uh, and that's what the result was. So you never know. <laughs> and um, so this, this, you know, this sincere motivation, which I actually didn't know that I had, because I just, it started all, you know, kind of quite um, innocent as, as a, because I was, uh, you know, very interested in uh, auto-European culture, so I, I studied cultural anthropology. That's how I, you know, ventured into, like, into Asian culture, basically. And then I remember that was 1988, so almost 30 years ago, I... I found myself on a train in uh, Burma, a very hot month of May, and uh, and uh, I was looking out the window when we were somewhere in a station, and, and there were some monks, you know, coming on board of the train, and they were there were a group of people bringing those monks to the train station, and and they all were bowing on the very dirty platform to the monks, and I just. It just kind of struck me, you know, this devotion which these people had. And and then I just kept observing the monks because they, they were in the same carriage as I was. And and kind of the way they behaved, that was really struck me because it was very hot and there were, people were really going crazy in this train because of the heat. But those monks, they were just sitting there very calmly and you know, not doing anything much and just sitting and sitting for but on eight hours, ten hours. And and my kind of admiration, you know, for their equanimity increased by the hour, really, because it was very hard to endure the heat. And that etched itself into my mind, you know, that experience somehow, because they were able, you know, to cope with those conditions so much better than anybody else in that carriage, including myself. So somehow... I just never forgot that, that image, you know. Even I didn't know what it was then, but it, it was just, it struck me something very deep in my heart. You know, somehow I felt that strength they had. And I'm not saying that all monks are like that, but they were like that. And, and then a kind of, that was like 
inside my heart just kind of percolating. And then a year later, I, I met my first teacher, um, Archan Buddhadasa, who was a uh, Thai forest master in the south of Thailand. And, and uh, you know, when I met him, I didn't know actually who he was then, but when I met him, I, ju I just recognized again that same quality which I had seen the year before in, in Burma in this train with, with those monks. And when I saw it in him, he was already in his mid-80s or so, when I saw that in him, my, you know, all my antennas went up and I just got really, you know, I took the opportunity just to, to stay in that monastery and do some retreats where he was also teaching. And, uh, you know, and then I, I just felt a very strong uh, attraction, you know, towards uh, wanting to spend some time there. And, and, you know, wanting to understand what, what he had understood, obviously. And he, you know, he um, displayed that understanding in his presence simply, you know, because I didn't understand English very well and I didn't understand Thai either. So I didn't understand much <laughs> of the teaching, but I understood, you know, on that, like on the heart level. And in Thailand, they have even a special word for that kind of understanding. It's called Torachit. Torasap means uh, TV. And Torachit means like, you know, you have that connection from the heart. So that's not uh, something unknown there. So it's a very common word to use. So I felt this very strong. Um, you know, it was like, now I understand what happened. He, he mirrored my own capacity back because he had it so vastly developed and and somehow there was this recognition even I didn't know what it was but my heart knew it and, and then it got very uh, kind of you know I felt very torn between wanting to be more like he was and wanting to know more but then also I, I, had, a, I had a life you know and I so uh, there was, was a few years of great struggle, you know, back and forth, back and forth. I want to be there, and now I don't want to. And I was married, and all of kind of things. And then, you know, I just uh, lived with that struggle for uh, several years, and then it just resolved itself. And uh, and uh, then I ended up in England, in in Amaravati, where I met Ayanandabodi. And and then, you know, all my aspiration, you know, which was like awakened when I saw these monks in Burma, you know, who was so, who were so composed. And then, you know, I met Buddha Dasa that showed me a possibility and there was this struggle of kind of somehow getting there. And then it became clear, you know, that I didn't want to just be on the edge of an Asian monastery. I wanted to be, you know, really in a community. And for that, I had to go to the West. So then, you know, I, I started to arrange my whole life around this aspiration and I, I went to Amaravati in England. There was a nuns community there and there was a teacher and, every, and everything was, you know, adapted for Westerners. And then I settled there and I arranged my whole life, you know, around this aspiration. And that, you know, that started in 1992. So it took about four years only, 
you know, and then I, I ordained 1993. So then, you know, I made that hard wish, you know, I made that into the center of my life and arranged my, my whole life around it. And then I stayed there for 15 years or so, with some short interruptions. And I always thought I'd just do it one more year, one more year, one more year, and then just it became, you know, many, many years. And and then at one point, you know, uh, things, you know, occurred in that community which weren't actually in alignment with my heart wish any longer, you know, and then I had to adjust. And then I had to, again, you know, develop a new vision and... And that new vision then brought me over here to America. And then the whole thing started again. And there was again the struggle and everything starting to, you know, kind of find a way how to arrange the life. And then finally, you know, finding a way and settling. And then, you know, the, and then one always has to kind of keep on watching, you know, if the original motivation if we, are, if we are still, you know, in alignment with that, because then one has to again adjust. And that's like a, a process, you know, which repeats itself again and again and goes, you know, ever deeper into, you know, into one's own being, I think, you know, and, and one's own aspiration, full, you know, can, can kind of manifest in a more, uh, you know, full uh, way, if one just stays tuned with that with that heart wish, you know, and does what one can to manifest it. And you know, in this this process is is basically you, you harness the energy of your own motivation and um, manifest it. And uh, you know in, in the in the Bali canon there is like a teaching uh, which which um you know, speaks about that, uh, about this um, harnessing one's own energy in order, you know, to to walk the path. And 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 this teaching is called the the four itipadas, or the four bases of spiritual power, or the four bases of of um, spiritual success. They are called itipada. And uh, so I wanted to speak about those today. And you know, and, and kind of present them in in relationship to my own path, and then you, you can probably do that with with your own path as well. And you know, and those four itipada, they are not only applicable to one spiritual path, but actually to any undertaking. You know, we we do in life a project, for example. You know, it goes through those phases as well. They're just, and you know, and. According to my understanding, two of those itipada are more like the warm practices. They are from heart practices. And the other two are more like wisdom. They are more like kind of sword practices and just cutting through delusion, the cool practices. And, you know, and awakening, you know, to, to one's own potential without, you know, without a real clear motivation. I don't think that this is really possible, you know. So it's really important to get in touch with with your heart wish, you know. What do you really want from this practice? 
I mean, enlightenment, yes. But also, you know, how do you want to live it? You know, because if you don't live it, it's not gonna ever come to anything much, you know, because it has to be lived fully in order to blossom. Because to just, you know, uh, theoretically do it in the head, it doesn't work, you know, it has to be really lived and then it will become strong and then it, you know, it can uh, give you that energy to, to really turn towards your experience because that's what's needed, you know. And... Um, so now I'm coming to those. And, and everybody, you know, has those four Itipada as seed qualities in, in their own being. And then through the practice, you know, we have to attend to them like to little plants, you know, and, and give them what they need in order to grow. And uh, they are universal patterns of energy. And they're like archetypes, you could say. And... You know, and for di different situations or different phases, a different archetype is needed. And if you know, we have to stay attuned, and uh, then you know, it will become apparent by itself what's needed. And uh, so, the first of this uh, itipada is called Chanda itipada, and and that's like a a heart quality, like a like a passionate interest for something or enthusiasm for something a desire you know wanting to wanting to manifest something so that you know that happened to me when I looked you know on the platform and I saw those this scene out there you know the, all of those lay people bowing to those monks and then the monks coming in the train and behaving in a way which was pretty awesome to me because I could have never done it and so that, you know, this awakened in me like a vision of a different way of, of living, which I felt I would like to do that too, but I just didn't know how. But I, I was, it was clear to me that it's possible because they did it. And so that was a very strong um, kind of uh, desire for me to find that, to find a way, you know, to find out what secret did they have, those monks. And, and then I just, you know, I kept on uh, remembering that, that uh, vision and I, I just was wondering, you know, whenever the right moment will come, I'll find a, some kind of a sign somewhere and then I'm just going to, um, you know, find out more about it and, and really... You know, not much later, about a year later, I, I happened to stumble over my first teacher and, and I was lucky enough to recognize him. And, you know, and then the next Itipada had to be activated and that's the Virya Itipada and that's like courageous effort or, you know, courageous energy. It's like a warrior-like energy that you don't, you, know, you don't mind however many obstacles are in your way, you know what you want to go for and you just go for it. And so that was a time, you know, of a lot of struggle to, to try to kind of leave the old life behind and, 
and step out of of that. There was a lot of uh, you know internal turmoil and external turmoil, and and it needed a lot of uh, one-pointedness and and you know really strong application of of energy. You know, not being uh, deterred from what you want to manifest in your life. So, you know, in in this phase, I think it's very important to remember, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, what happens in your life, but how you meet it. That's that's a very good way, you know, how to how to stay steady and not collapse, you know, when there are so many challenges and so many um, obstacles. So that's a very warrior-like way of, of applying one's energy. It's a cool practice. You know, not being um, sidetracked. And then the next... Itipada is chitta itipada, and that's chitta is heart or mind or heart mind actually. It's it's both. My name Santa Chitta, for example, means you know Santa means peace, and chitta means heart. So peaceful heart is theoretically my name, and I'm not at all a peaceful heart most of the time, <laughs> but you know you get that name because. Your teacher gives you a name which is, is a theme for your life, you know, what you, what you should develop. So every time somebody calls you, you should remember, oh, I have to develop a peaceful heart. <laughs> and um, so Chitta Etipada, it's again, it's a heart, it's a heart practice, but this time it's like, it's not a passion, but it's more like a devotion. It's, it's much more calm. And it's 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 like integrating, you know, all of these efforts you have made before. Like you had that very strong vision, that strong desire, and then you were kind of, you know, going against lots of obstacles to to manifest that vision. And then, you know, things start to cool down a little bit. So that's when I, you know, came to England and I came to Amaravati, and there was a whole setup there for nuns. And there was a, a teacher there, and there were books in English and even in German I could understand. And there were Western people I could discuss, you know, about the Dharma with and everything. So suddenly, you know, the whole thing got integrated, and there was like a, a framework there, and there was a certain amount of order suddenly in my life, you know, whereas before it was kind of pretty crazy, really. And so that was there was a, a kind of a relief to be able to really kind of uh, calm down and and open oneself more to the practice because there were not constantly some obstacles there. And you know that is um, you know then a possibility to really hold one's one's aspiration and you know integrate it in in a bigger picture and then really align your life around it and in terms of archetype you know that can be compared with the archetype of the king or the queen 
you know, they're not like a warrior kind of fighting, but it's more like kind of taking care and and um, you know setting things up in a way which which is supportive and and a, a certain kind of routine starts to be established and and through that a certain amount of of peace and 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 then you know there is less agitation and one can go really quite deep with one's aspiration and then that phase was for quite a long time like 10 years or so and and then the next phase arose which is in terms of itipada it's called vimangsa itipada vimangsa means investigation you know and then certain signs you know started to pop up where i suddenly felt you know that there are things happening in this environment which are actually not any longer in in alignment with my aspiration as i you know remembered it because my aspiration was about you know manifesting what I knew to be true completely. And that's why I, I was willing you know, to do a real extreme step like becoming a nun, which took me a few years, you know, struggling with it. And, and then I just, I did it anyway. So then I, I just felt there's, you know, I, I need, and then I, it, it needed some, some, you know, investigation. If I was still in alignment with that, um, aspiration with that motivation or not so that's that's a time of you know um, um, adjustment and, and a fine tuning and and reorientation and you know sometimes we need even you know to have somebody come from outside to come in and, and check it out you know like a troubleshooter or a, a coach or somebody because you can be so immersed you know in your world that you you feel like something isn't quite right, but you don't know what it is. You can't identify it because you so are identified with it. So that's what happened also in England in that monastery where I was for so long and where I'd learned so much and had made so many good friends and everything. But at, at a certain point, you know, the way that was offered there to, to female monastics had had pretty strong limitations which one didn't feel for a long time you know when one was still you know learning and and in a very junior position but the the more senior one became it became ever more kind of narrower the world there so you know and then a new vision arose out of that re reorientation a new vision came and the vision said I need to get out of here <laughs> and then you know again one comes back to the Chanda Itipada because then there was this desire again like when I saw the monks you know on the platform and I had this recognition there was a different life and there was a different values and everything this was the same was then you know I knew that's there's more possible than this. But I didn't know where to do it and how to do it and everything. But still, I, again, I was ha 
willing you know, to hold that vision in the heart and just looking, you know, when is the opportunity, when is opportunity arises, I'm just going to jump for it again, like I did then. And the opportunity came in the form, you know, of a, of a novice nun from, from um, California visiting us in Amravati. And she said, come to America, you know, you, you, and, and all those things. And, and then another body, and I thought, okay, we, we're going to have a, have a look, you know. And then we again had to do the warrior phase, you know, because there was a lot of dissonance and a lot of struggle for us, you know, to be able to cut off from the UK and to come over here. But, you know, we managed. And, and then, you know, after some time being here, we had to, we, we again, we needed to see, you know, what's, what's really needed here in order to, to do something which is sustainable, you know, that is again the chitta, itipada, the face of the archetype of the king or the queen, you know, who wants to create some order which is sustainable. And then we thought, oh, we found out, you know, people are interested in he- here in, in, for example, that women have the same opportunities as men. So we, we realized, you know, if we want to make a monastery here, we need to have bhikkhuni ordination. So, you know, and then we adjusted to this, we left our old lineage, we became bhikkhunis and so on and so forth, you know, and it will go like that again and again. So those four phases, you know, of, of, uh, of developing a project or developing one's path and then harnessing the energy in different ways, you know, sometimes it has to be really tough and strong and otherwise... Some other times it has to be like soft and and really kind of tuning in and seeing, you know, where, where adjustment is needed. So this is, you know, very different ways of uh, applying one's energy. And, and just, you know, trusting one's heart wish to be the guide, you know, that, that faith which is beyond belief and beyond doubt. Because, you know, if you have like a very fixed plan, you believe you have to hold on to it, it, it doesn't really work. And if we are constantly in doubt that what we're doing is the right thing, that doesn't work either. So faith, you know, is, is, um, is again, it's the middle way. You know, we suspend disbelief and we, we have that capacity you know, to be with ambiguity and to be with not knowing and just trusting, you know, that this motivation, this heart wish is going to be strong enough, you know, for knowing what to do one step at a time. We don't know, have to know the whole, the whole path because it's, it's not possible. Because there's always this uh, different... Um, causes and conditions and then the energy has to kind of, you know, be manifesting accordingly to what's needed. And this Foitipada, Chanda Itipada, enthusiasm, Virya Itipada, courageous effort, Chitta Itipada, you know, the arranging one's life around one's heart wish, you know, creating order creating a, um, how would we say that? You know, integrating the, the 
qualities uh, like Chanda Itipada and Virya Itipada, really integrating them into one's life. And then Vimangsa Itipada or investigation, you know, adjusting, seeing, you know, are we still in tune with our heart wish? Are we still in tune with our motivation? And then kind of, you know, troubleshooting basically. And out of that, you know, if there's, is, if it's, if the situation is not any more good enough, you know, in, in alignment with, with one's heart wish, if like some little adjustments are not doing the job anymore, then a new vision has to, has to arise. And, and it's like a, you know, it's like an ongoing process. And uh, I think this, you know, this four Itipada are a good map, how we can, we can see, you know, where are you right now in your life, you know which of those four phases are you in? And then that can be quite helpful, you know, in order to trace back, you know, what really got you, you know, what really caught your your heart, you know, what really is, is your central motivation. And then if you know that, to really can come back to it and make much of it. Because in times of, of struggle, you know, that is often the only thing which is left, you know, which maybe is a lot of confusion, a lot of issues, a lot of problems, you know, but if you can come back to that, the central motivation which has set you on the path, it can, you know, ignite a strength in you you didn't know that you had. It certainly was with me like that, you know. That I didn't know certain things, you know, that I could do. For example, I remember in Amaravati, you know, we, all, we always had to do the chant which you are doing, requesting for the Dhamma talk. We had to do that on our own when we were novices. And I just thought, I just can't stay here because I can't do that chant. I was so kind of afraid, you know, of public speaking. And and now I, I give Dharma talks to so many people and it's not such a big issue anymore. So, you know, I'd never thought that I could do that really because I even thought I can't become a nun because I can't do the request, you know, which is just four lines. So, you know, but because I so much wanted to know more and I really wanted to, needed the support of the Sangha for that, I just did it, you know. And now I'm really glad I did it because I have learned so much and uh, it was because I stayed true to that hard wish, you know, no matter what it required. And, you know, and it looked difficult, but now looking back, it wasn't that difficult actually. So, yeah, I wanted to share it with you and uh, stop here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash
donate.